Section 8 of Snowball by Paul Anderson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Snowball by Paul Anderson. Section 8. The fact did not strike home till they were stopping over at Idlewild and saw uniformed men and machine gun emplacements. In the coffee shop, Arch asked the counterman just how bad things really were. Rough, he answered. See this? He flipped back his jacket, showing a homemade capacitite pistol in a holster. Oh, look now. Mister, I live in Brooklyn. I don't get home till after dark, and the police cordons don't go closer than six blocks to my place. I've had to shoot twice already in the past couple of months. Bandits? In gangs, mister. If I could work somewhere closer to home, I'd be off like a shot. Arch sat down his cup. Suddenly, he didn't want any more coffee. My God, he thought, am I responsible for that? A smaller plane carried them to Boston, where they caught a bus for Westfield. The driver had an automatic rifle by his seat. Arch huddled into himself, waiting for he knew not what but the trip was uneventful. The town didn't seem to have changed much. Most of the cars were converted, but it didn't show externally. The drugstore still flashed neon at a drowsy sidewalk. The Carnegie Library waited rather wistfully for someone to come in. The dress shop had the same old dummies in the window. Elizabeth pointed at them. Look, she said, see those clothes? Their dresses, said Arch moodily. What about them? No style changes in six months. That's all, said Elizabeth. It gives me the creeps. They walked along the streets, banked with dirty, half-melted snow, under a leaden sky and a small, whimpering wind. Their house had not changed when they entered. Someone had been into dust, and it looked like the home they remembered. Arch sank tiredly into his old armchair and accepted a drink. He studied the newspaper he bought at the depot. Screaming headlines announced revolt in Russia, mass uprisings in the Siberian prison camps, announcements from the Copenhagen office of the Ukrainian nationalist movement. It all seemed very far away. The fact that there were no new dress styles was somehow closer and more eerie. A thunderous knock at the door informed him that Calhoun had noticed their lights. Man, it's good to see ye again. The great paw engulfed his hand. Where you've been all the while? Can't tell you that, said Arch. Ah, well, you'll permit me to make my own guesses then. Calhoun cocked an eye at the paper. Who do they think they're fooling anyhow? We can look for the Russian bombers any day now. Arch considered his reply. That aspect had been thoroughly discussed at the project, but he wasn't sure how much he could tell. Quite possibly, he said at last. But with their internal troubles, they won't be able to make many raids or any big ones, and the little they will be able to throw at us should be stopped while they're still over northern Canada. Let's hope so, nodded Calhoun. 
but the people in the large cities won't want to take the chance there's going to be an exodus of considerable dimensions in the next few days with all that that implies he paused frowning i've spent the last couple of months organizing a kind of local militia bob has been making capacitite guns and there are about a hundred of us trying to train ourselves want in on it they'd probably shoot me first whispered arch the red-headed shook bear-like no there's less feeling against you locally than you seem to think after all few if any of the people in this area have been hurt they're farmers small shopkeepers trading in the essentials students college employees many of them have actually benefited you have your enemies here but you have more friends i think said arch thinly that i'm becoming one of my own enemies ah fush man if you hadn't brought the stuff out somebody else would have it's not your fault that we don't have the kind of economy to absorb it smoothly all right said arch without tone i'll join your minute men there doesn't seem to be anything else to do the wave of automobiles began coming around noon of the next day westfield lay off the main highway so it didn't get the full impact of the jam which tied up traffic from philadelphia to boston but there were some thousands of cars which passed through arch stood in the ranks of men who lined main street the gun felt awkward in his hands breath smoked from his nostrils and the air was raw and damp on one side of him was mr hinkle bundled up so that only the glasses and a long red nose seemed visible on the other was a burly farmer whom he didn't know outside the city limits a sign had been planted directing traffic to keep moving and to stay on the highway there were barriers on all the side streets arch heard an occasional argument when someone tried to stop to be urged on by a guard and by the angry horns behind him but what'll they do he asked blindly where will they stay my god there are women and children in those cars women and children here in town too said hinkle we've got to look after our own it won't kill these characters to go a few days without eating every house here is filled already there have been refugees trickling in for weeks we could bunk down a family in our place ventured arch save the space answered hinkle it'll be needed later briefly a certain pride rose through the darkness of guilt which lay in arch these were the old americans the same folk who had stood at concord and gone west into indian country they were a survivor type but most of their countrymen weren't he realized sickly urban civilization had become too big too specialized there were people in the millions who had never pitched a tent butchered a pig fixed a machine what was going to become of them toward evening he was relieved and slogged home too numb with cold and weariness to think much he gulped down the dinner his wife had ready and tumbled into bed it seemed as if he had not slept at all when the phone was ringing he groped toward it cursing as he tried to unglue his eyes calhoun's voice rattled at him you're in betty 
Come up to the college. Somerset Hall, right away. There's hell to pay. How? Our lookout on the water tower has seen fires starting to the south. Something's approaching, and it doesn't look friendly. Sleep drained from Arch, and he stood in grayness where Satan jeered at him. Si monumentum recutus checum speci. Slowly he nodded. We'll be right along. The campus was jammed with townspeople. In the vague pre-dawn light, Arch saw them as a moving river of white, frightened faces. Farmer, merchant, laborer, student, teacher, housewife, they had all receded into a muttering anonymity, through which he pushed toward the steps of the hall. The irregular militia was forming ranks there, with Calhoun's shaggy form dominating the scene. There they are, he snapped. Betty, can you help take charge of the women and children and old people? Get them inside. This one building ought to hold them all with some crowding. Kind of circulate around. Keep them calm. We'll pass out coffee and doughnuts as soon as the Salvation Army bunch can set up a canteen. What's the plan? Asked the guardsman. To Arch, his voice had a dim, dreamlike quality. None of this was real. It couldn't be. I don't know what those arsonists intend, or where they're bound, said Calhoun. But we'd better be ready to meet them. The traffic through town stopped completely a few hours ago. I think there's a gang of highwaymen operating. Colin, it can't be. People like us? Hungry, frightened, angry, desperate, confused people. A mob has nothing to do with individuals in it, my friend. And one small push is enough to knock down a row of dominoes, once lawlessness really gets started, a lot of others are driven into it in self-defense. They waited. The sun came up, throwing a pale bleak light over the late snow and the naked trees. The canteen handed out a sort of a breakfast. Little was said. At nine-thirty, a boy on a clumsy plow-horse came galloping up toward them. About a hundred, marching down the highway, he panted. They threw a couple of shots at me. Stay here, said Calhoun. I'm going down to see if we can't parlay. I'll want about ten men with me. Volunteers. Arch found himself among the first. It didn't matter much what happened to him now when the work of his hands was setting aflame homes all across the land. They trudged down the hillside and out toward the viaduct leading south. Calhoun broke into a deserted house and stationed them in its entrance hall. Peering out, Arch saw the ragged column moving in. They were all men, unshaven and dirty. A few trucks accompanied them, loaded with a strange mass of plunder, but most were on foot and all were armed. Calhoun bound the towel to his rifle barrel and waved it through the front door, after what seemed like a long time, a voice outside said, Okay, if you want to talk, go ahead. Cover to me, murmured Calhoun, stepping onto the porch. Looking around his shoulder, Arch made out three of the invaders, with their troops standing in tired, slumped attitudes some yards behind. They didn't look fiendish, merely worn and hungry. Okay, pal, 
said the leader this is o'farrell's bunch and we're after food and shelter what can you do for us food and shelter calhoun glanced at the trucks you seem to have been helping yourself pretty generously already o'farrell's face darkened what'd you have us do starve you're from the boston area i suppose you could have stayed there and been blown off the map it hasn't happened yet said calhoun mildly it's not likely to happen either they have organized relief back there you didn't have to starve but no you panicked and then you turned mean it's easy enough for you to say so you're safe we're here after our proper share that's all your proper share is waiting in boston said calhoun with a sudden chill now if you want to proceed through our town we'll let you but we don't want you to stay not after what you've been doing lately o'farrell snarled and brought up his gun arch fired from behind calhoun the leader spun on his heel crumbled and sagged with a shriek arch felt sick his nausea didn't last it couldn't with a sudden storm of lead which sleeted against the house calhoun sprang back closing the door out the rear he snapped we'll have to fight they retreated up the hill crouching zigzagging shooting at the disorderly mass which milled in slow pursuit calhoun grinned savagely keep drawing him on boys he said as he knelt in the slush and snapped a shot if they spread through town we'll have hell's own time rooting em all out but this way arch didn't know if he was hitting anything he didn't hear the bullets which must be whining around him another cliche that just wasn't true he thought somewhere in the back of his head a fight wasn't something you could oversee and understand it was cold feet clinging mud whirling roaring confusion it was a nightmare that you couldn't wake up from then the rest of the westfield troop were there circling around to flank the enemy and pumping death it was a rout in minutes the gang had stampeded arch leaned on his rifle and felt vomit rising in his throat calhoun clapped his shoulder he did right well laddie he rumbled not bad at all what's happening groaned arch what's become of the world calhoun took out his pipe and began tamping it why a simple shift of the military balance of power he answered once again we have cheap easily operated weapons which everyone can own and which are the equal of anything that's practical for a government to use last time it was flintlock musket right and we got the american and french revolutions this time it's capacitite so the soviet dictatorship is doomed but we've got a rough time ahead of us because there are enough unstable elements in our own society to make trouble our traditional organizations just aren't prepared to handle them when they're suddenly armed we'll learn how fast enough though i imagine there's going to be order again if only because the majority of people are decent hard-working fellows who won't put up with much more of this sort of thing but there has to be a transition period and what counts is surviving that if i hadn't colin it's enough to make a man believe in demonic possession 
Nonsense, snorted the other. I told you before, if you hadn't invented this stuff, somebody else would have. It wasn't you that made it by the ton all over the country. It wasn't you that brought up this notion of finishing the Iron Curtain governments. A brilliant scheme, I might add. Well worth whatever price we have to pay at home, but it is you, my boy, who's going to have to get us tooled up to the last transition. Can you do it? End of section 8